are you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Charlie, we missed a holiday. We did. It's the most important holiday of the year. Well, second most important holiday. It's the second most important holiday of the year. The first most important holiday is National Donut Day. Yes. Yesterday was National Filled Donut Day, and we missed it. I'm so upset. (laughs) You forgot to bring me my unleavened donuts this morning. Yes, and I forgot your unleavened donuts this morning, so I'm messing up. But anyway, Chag Sameach. If you don't know what that means, send me a message, I'll tell you. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, and it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and sometimes on YouTube. Oh, and that Twitter thing they call X now, but I haven't done that yet. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. What? That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube, YouTube, we do that mostly Wednesdays. Tweeter. It, tweeter. It's Tweeter. Yeah. Elon, Elon Musk is a Tweeter. <laughs> tweeter. Tweety Bird. Is he Tweety? Yeah, yeah, you know, you used to call those things on their tweets. What do you call them now? Because it's called X. You I, know what they I, were. They've I, always. X-G- no, no, no. They were never tweets. They were twits. <laughs> Have you ever read them? They were definitely yeah. twits. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Anyhow. anyhow. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> you, you, you can also catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. I'm off like a thundering herd of tortoises. <laughs> Phones are on today, 229-469-0335, but only if we know who the heck you are. <laughs> if you wish to call in and they're not registered, you can try sending us Mary Marianne mentioned the magic word. <laughs> with your name and number and we'll let your call go through well maybe i will i you know today is friday it, it, who knows what we'll do today if you find our classes helpful please click the thumbs up like subscribe and share it with those you think could benefit from it just warn them joe is an acquired taste you could just see that just there just when he did that yeah fat man with a t-shirt yeah this, this, this show is listener sponsored i don't know why you would ever do that but we do appreciate those that do uh meaning we don't solicit business advertising so we're not limited in the content we provide for y'all I'm kill myself uh, with that said we do ask for your participation on a value for value basis if you find our shows of value to you then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the road to concord blog page and the show description on rumble and in the comments on the other streams hey we all know t.a charlie isn't all there now just stay seated and give it a chance you soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. And with that, we have set a new show record for the longest intro we have ever had. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> hey, whatever. man, we're having fun hey, here today, man. It's Friday. It's Friday. Ack, Bill the Cat. Ack. It's Friday. It's been a long week. It, 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 hey, man, if y'all don't remember Opus, shame on you. If you're that young, you probably don't belong here. But anyhow, we'll 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 put up with you anyway. <laughs> it's, it's Founding Fathers Friday. Okay, I'll just leave in that case. <laughs> so, look, you you guys, if you don't remember the cartoon Opus, man, you have been deprived. There was once upon a time this thing called the Sunday Comics. And they would show up in the newspaper. That's another thing that we used to have that actually gave you news. And now you just that's, use it to wrap that's all mullet. I ever read. Oh, okay. Comic section was comics. Comics was where you got your news, your philosophy, and your funnies all in one place. And Opus was one of the best strips in the comic books. Man, it was right up there with peanuts. So oh, okay. Well, I recognize them. There we go. All it, right. It was kind of you know what? This is perfect. Think of Eeyore in the form of a penguin. That was open. And one of his characters was Bill the Cat. And you've seen Bill the Cat on the show here. Um, oh, yeah. just don't remember. Um, let me see if I can find him real quick. He should be right here at the top. There he goes. Bill the Cat. He's so cute. In a long week. Ack. And that was his thing. All all Bill could ever say was "ack." <laughs> that was like a one word vocabulary. So, all right, time for me to pretend to get back on the job here. <laughs> all right, Founding Fathers Friday. We've had enough jocularity. All of a sudden, I hear Father Bill Cahey going jocularity, jocularity. See, man, it, I've got plenty of pop culture references. They're all just retro. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about rights um this isn't just this didn't go where i thought it was going to go we're going to talk about rights natural law natural rights but who boy did this one take a, a left turn in in at albuquerque <laughs> more retro pop references heck man that didn't even retro that one there's boomer world jack that's that's back when charlie was a pumpkin yeah that's my buddy <laughs> All right, in in, in trying to determine what our natural rights are, can the natural world help us with the notion of rights? Or do we just make them up willy-nilly? Because if we just make them up, we're going to have a different definition of rights than the founding fathers did. So the question, it's time to get serious now. I've got a philosopher hat. should change shirts real quick to my philosopher shirt now. It says, can the natural world help us with the notion of natural rights? Pay attention, Jimmy Zinker. We're in your world now. If so, how? The first thing we have to do, what do we mean by natural world? Most people would have gone just right to the rights. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. Got to stop first. What do we mean by natural world? Well, don't worry. I'm not going to pull the dictionary out on you today. This one here we're going to do off the cuff a la our own brainiacs. I'm thinking this one's fairly self-explanatory. Natural world means the material world. Okay, I can live with that. The world as we observe it. The world that we can know. The, 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 the world that exists by what we call nature. It's in the natural world and it's natural order. Okay, can this natural world help us understand 
natural rights. Can we learn anything from it? And if so, how and whatever, how can it help us? Well, that's fairly obvious if we'd stop to think about it. First, by observing how the natural world works. How do its different components operate? How does a, how does a raven behave? How does a rabbit behave? Are there any differences between a cottontail rabbit and a snowshoe rabbit? How does a white-tailed deer differ from a mule? I mean, seriously, man, you, you get lost in this. It's a lifetime's work. But look at how, does, uh, how do the oceans work? How does the wind work? What purpose and function of hurricanes? The whole natural world. How do the individual pieces work? And then how do they function not only independently of each other, but also in, when they interact with each other? Like the marshes, the tides in the marshes, the coastland marshes, swampland. Do you, do you have any idea how important the swamplands are? That's the ocean's liver. What? Yeah, man, it detoxes the ocean. Because when the tides come in, all the sediment that's been pushed to the shores by the action of the waves and the wind, all that sediment moves up into the marshlands. And then when the tide goes out, a lot of it has settled to the bottom and it stays in the marshlands. The marshlands become a reservoir for the garbage from the ocean. The thing about that is it's, there are plants that like to live on that. So they recycle it. They turn it back into something that's less toxic for the rest of the world. Yeah, 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 man. The natural order of things and how they all interact. You know, it's time to go to Animal Kingdom and, and Disney, man, and see how this great big wide world works. But then how does it all function as a whole? Now this, that's a subject that man thinks he can wrap his head around in his own hubris and stupidity. But we don't even know how the heck the ant operates in this world. Now we're going to turn around and think we can operate the whole universe. Nah, no. But anyhow, we can learn by observing the world around us. We can see how it works. This is one of our problems. If we were to do this a little more often, we might not try the stupid stuff that we try with government in, in our own lives, you know, trying to sweep water uphill. Look, I can do it, Joe. Yeah, in a limited space and time for just a little while. Because eventually, either you get too much water to sweep or you get tired and you can't keep it up. Be talking about sweeping water uphill, Joe. Look, folks, you can't actually sweep water uphill. I've done it. It can be done. It's just the problem is, is either it goes around your broom or squeegee, or if you've got a narrowly confined area where your squeegee is just big enough, it stacks up and goes over the top of it because there's more water coming down the hill. Than, but you can do it. It's just that you have to sweep harder and faster and faster and harder to keep just to maintain where you're at, let alone make, make headway up the hill. Sooner or later, the water, that's the point of natural law. You can go against it. You know, you can do socialism for so long before the gods of the copybook heading return and reassert themselves. And when they do, you go back to natural law, which is what that poem actually is all about. So... The question about the natural world, how does all this help? It leads to another question. Are we, what we call mankind, are we actually part of this natural world? Mm, that's a weird question, Joe. Yeah, we are. Are we? Observe the natural world. Does any other part of it, any other part of this natural world, ask such questions? 
does the deer go, does any other part of this world worry about rights? Does the bear go, what are my natural rights? Does a lion care about the rights of the zebra? No. Nothing in this world cares about its existence. Not in that sense. It wants to continue living. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't think about existential things. None of it does. Man does. Only man. Does does any other part of the world think about things such as rights or morality? Does a pig care about morality? Does a dog? Does a tree? Does a stone, a rock, the water, the ocean? No. No. But we do. Does any other part of this creation of this so-called natural world ask why? Uh, why about anything? No. They don't care about why. They just they just are. They just do. Does anything else in this natural world care about what does it all mean? No. Well, Joe, that's just because we're a higher form. Are you? Maybe. 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 Or maybe you're not of this world. Well, what world are we from then, Joe? Mm, good question. But we'll save that for a different time. It's a different topic. But I'm being serious about this. Are we part of this natural world? What does this imply? Mm, maybe man isn't of the natural world. Maybe he's not. Or um, maybe if we are part of the natural world, we're somehow different from all other parts of it. We, 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 there's something unique about us. Now, when I look at the world... I can tell you that's true. Now, a lot of people are like, well, we're no different than Coco the gorilla. Hold on to that. We're going to tackle that today. You are different from Coco the gorilla. But in a way that only you'd understand, Coco never will. So if we're different, how are we different and why? Like I was telling you, object, 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 uh, easy for me to say, objective, uh, yeah. comment on the board from JMW, doesn't try to conquer or impose its will either. Yeah, other, yes, other parts of all they do, all the natural world does is survive. Say, well, Joe, the lion pride conquers its own little area. No, it just carves out its own little territory for hunting purposes. Same with wolves, et cetera, et cetera. We do have certain animals that like to kill just to kill for fun. We call them killer whales and other little types of animals that'll do this. But in general, yeah, JMW is correct. But when we, uh, we take an objective, objective, uh, I cannot get the word, objective observation of the world, a neutral view, it's very apparent that the discussion of what we're talking about is proof that we're somehow different. Even questioning our bias and perspective where we say, okay, well, Joe, we only find difference because we're human and we think we're different. That in and of itself is proof that we're something there's, we're of a different kind than the rest of the world. And I know most people won't understand this, but if you're going to be, if you're going to be of a liberal mindset, you're going to say, Joe, you just think you're different. Coco's the same as we are. You're just looking at it from a human perspective. 
That is an abstract concept that Coco will never come up with on her own. You might teach it to her, but she's not going to derive that all on her own little self. I think, therefore, I am. And don't get ahead of the lesson plan. Oh, sorry. He doesn't know it, but that quote's in the lesson plan today. Coco thinks, and that's something else we're going to have to address, but the very fact that we're having this discussion proves that we are somehow, in some way, different from the rest of creation. So let's look to how all of this is tied to the definition of man, of human, not necessarily homo sapien. Oh, now we're going to play word games. Now we're going to play word games in a way that's going to be very difficult to nail down without creating another word or adding adjectives or qualifying labels. But yeah, we're, we're going to do that. Homo sapien is a, I think the word is genus. That's a scientific term. It refers to an animal. Well, yeah, it refers to man, the animal. Yes. The animal man circa second Peter, I think what chapter two, verse 12 senseless animals, human beings as senseless animals, just animals with no good sense. Man is certainly capable of such behavior, animalistic behavior. I don't mean to put this insensitively, but the bulk of human history is civilization is not natural to the, to the homo sapien. Okay. Let's put it this way. Civilization is not natural to homo sapien. Well, yeah, it is Joe Fim. No, 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 that ain't no different than, than a wolf pack. If you've got a family clan and all they're doing is hunting and gathering and whatever, farming or whatever, that's just a, that's just a homo sapien wolf pack. It is popular in certain circles to look at man as nothing more than an animal. But I think if you have an objective, hey, I got it out that time, objective view of the natural world, you'll see that there are human beings that are different from just homo sapien man. And they tend to be, at least once upon a time, civilized. I guess now they're still civilized if we want to change the definition of civility, civilization. But what do we mean by man? How is it that man or human would be different from animal? You remember Dune? Any of y'all ever read the book or seen the movie? The original, the old one, where they're going to test the man to see if he's human or just a man animal. And if he's just a man animal, they're going to kill him. That's not a trivial thing. The subject we're talking about, you're going to find it everywhere in human history, the, the philosophy side. But if you look, how is man different from the animals? The question would be, can man be above the animal, higher in order or in, in evolution? Or so We like to think we are. Oh, we've just far, farther, further involved than them, Joe. Well, again, another subject that we'll tackle on a different day, but that thing of evolution, that goes against all the known laws of this universe. Things decay. They don't increase in order. They decrease. We've covered this before. So you don't evolve, you devolve. Also in your genetics. And genetic code is degrading. Didn't know that, did you? 
Some of you might have, most of you probably don't. So if our genetic codes degrade, of all species, they degrade. If that's the case over time, how the heck do you evolve when the very thing that makes you up is in the, and it's in the own process of decaying? Evolution is a defeated theory. It's been defeated in many different levels, many different times. We'll come back to it, though. So is man above the animals? I'd say yes. The above the natural world. That's going to be up for you to decide. You might not even think man's above an animal. That's okay. It's okay. First things first, let's define what we mean by man as opposed to homo sapien. Man is a higher being, a, a civilized creature rather than just an animal that happens to walk on two legs. What do we mean by man? Again, human as opposed to homo sapien. And we need to be very careful here. We do not want to define away humanity to suit our personal biases, our prejudices, or any other agenda, political, scientific, whatever. Got to be careful how we define humanity. We've defined away the humanity of Native Americans before. Blacks, Jews, Chinese, different parts of the world have defined away the humanity of whites. We're currently got a minority of people in this country trying to do that right now. All whiteies are bad. If you're in the right circle, you'll find that language coming from certain people in this country. They're trying to establish apartheid because, you know, slavery and racism is bad. Unless, of course, we're doing it, then it's good. Which is exactly what every slave owner and racist society said ever, ever and ever throughout history. So we don't want to define man in that way. So what makes us different from the rest of the creations in this world? How and how does this, whatever it is, how does it make us different? Why are we different? And what does it all mean? What does it imply? See, I've told you before, learning to ask the right question, that's important. Because if you ask the right question, answers tend to be easier. But uh, experience is a good teacher, and I have learned that finding the right questions not always the easiest thing in the world to do. One of the things that I used to do when, until it became second nature is, why? Okay, well, I got an answer. Okay, well, what does that mean? Huh? Okay, well, you said two plus two is four. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means if I put two and two, and you start, so well, okay, well, what's that mean? And I, I'd get an answer, and I'd ask, what's that mean? Or why is that the answer? And it, it just over and over again, it seems trivial until after a while, because I had to do this intentionally. After a while, it became second nature. And one of the reasons everybody that finds me interesting thinks I'm interesting is because I'm just doing something I trained myself to do, something that you can do yourself. Okay, you can become just as nerdy, wonky, and, and if you ever watched the show Big Bang Theory, there's an episode where Leonard is explaining to somebody how to explain Sheldon. And Leonard goes, when you talk to your friends about this, the term we like to use is quirky. Well, you can become just as quirky as me. All you got to do is learn how to think. Everybody who learns how to think becomes quirky if you're thinking for yourself. So, how is man different? Oh, it's because we reason. Really? We think. That, that makes us different, right? Told you that Charlie was ahead of the lesson plan. It says, 
Cogito ergo sum. Marianne, you remember that? I think that's Latin. It says, I think, therefore, I am. Descartes. Well, we're also dealing with liberty. Here's a John Adams quote from, and it's from a letter to John Taylor, 15 April, 1814. It says, liberty, according to my metaphysics, you might want to look that word up sometime, is an intellectual quality, an attribute that belongs not to fate nor chance. Neither possesses it. Fate and chance do not possess liberty. Neither is capable of it. There is nothing moral or immoral in the idea of liberty, of, of it, of liberty. The definition of it is a self-determining power in an intellectual agent. Ah, uh, Adams is doing good here by my estimations, but we're going to have to push it further by an intellectual agent. That's, that's the definition of liberty is self-determining power in an intellectual agent. It, the definition of liberty, it implies thought and choice and power. It can elect between objects, indifferent in a point of morality, neither morally good nor morally evil. As brilliant as he was, Adams should have kept going. He missed the mark. And this type of writing lends credence to the idea that he was a deist, unless, of course, you read the rest of his writings. But this here is... Um, I'd have to read the rest of the letter. It might make a little more sense. But in a standalone quote, we're going to have to come back to this because that's not quite where we want to be. But it does bring up the fact of reason also being connected to liberty. Other creatures in the natural world can reason. Every time they put a rat in a maze, that rat is reasoning. No, it isn't, Joe. It's just sniffing out the cheese. Yeah, and it has to reason which way to go, and it learns. Learning is proof of reasoning. They've also done experiments with crows, ravens, which they put food under, you know, in the little areas that the raven has to think his way to get to the food. It's never done it before, and the raven will figure it out. I have watched one of my dogs think through a problem before. I sat there and watched him, cocked his head, Cocked it the other way, and he was looking at the problem, and then all of a sudden he went and did it. Did what he wanted to do. He was thinking through it. Maybe not in words, but he was thinking through it. So the ability to think just proves you exist. It doesn't tell you anything about the nature of your existence. It just means that you do exist as an entity, as an individual separate being, because your thoughts are not my thoughts, and our thoughts are not Charlie's or Natasha's. We all have our own different thoughts. So we're different beings of some sort. We might all end up finding out one day that we're all different bees in a hive. But that's, in, that, that's irrelevant. It's still individual bee. If one bee, sting, you know, one honeybee stings somebody and dies, the whole hive doesn't die because that one honeybee. Because it's an individual bee. We're, so we have individual existence. But just because we think does not make us different from the animals. Okay, so it's the level of our reasoning power. Really? The Coco had an IQ of about as high as what we call a moron. Now, everybody takes that word as an insult now. But if you look it up, it has a definition. It was a human being of an IQ no higher than 60 or 70. It has a definition. It goes back in time. It's connected to the eugenics movement. 
don't get me wrong, but it's a useful word in this particular case. I have dogs that can reach the level of 60 or 70 IQ points. There are dogs like that. I've known one. I've had one. I had a collie named Brandy. Wicked smart animal. So it's not a matter of, of unless we're going to call the moron not human. And there are homo sapiens perfectly willing to do that. Well, that, that, that person's not, well, he's not even a person. He's a subhuman because he's not as smart as I am. Who told you you were smart? I did. Uh-huh. We'll get to that. So, so far, we don't have a definition of human that I like. You might. You might be happy with that. I'm not. So, okay, Joe, we have free will. That makes us human. Does it? Do we? I tend to say we do, but there are people who argue we don't. All creatures have free will. Who tells your dog where to go? I mean, unless you're commanding them, if you just leave them be, you got a dog or a cat and they're out in the backyard, they go where they want to go. Birds go where they want to go. The fox goes where it wants to go. The rabbit goes where fish goes where it wants to go. They have free will. It may be that they have free will only within the limits of their nature. But now we're getting somewhere. The limits of their nature. Dog's going to be a dog. He's not going to have free will to act like a cat. Mm, but now does that apply to homo sapien? Do you have free will outside of your nature if you're just a human animal? Hmm. I don't know if I can say you do. Yeah, I know there's some humans that are Furbies, so. Yeah, what I was thinking is some humans that live in cultures that are a little better than animalistic. Um, given the realities of the world in which we live, the easiest illustration I'm, I'm not supposed to use, even though it'll be declared racist, even though it's not racism, it's culture. I can, you know what? I'll just use it. Heck with it. A gang. A gang. I don't care if you're white um, mob, if you're Latin um, cartel, if you're Chinese or Japanese, you know, like triads or whatever. I don't care if you're white Russian mob. I don't care if you're black inner city. Gangs. They have their own rules within their culture, but I would not. I don't know that I'd call them civilized. They have no respect for anything other than the power that comes at the point of their guns. Feel good, do it. I don't see how they're very different from a pack of wolves. I don't. They have their own little territories, their own little turfs. They all fight over the females. Sometimes the females are going to fight for dominance over the males. The younger males are always trying to take over the older males to be the alpha, lead the pack. They hunt to get what they want. They will fight within each other, kill each other sometimes. I don't see how a gang society is very much different from a wolf. Now, do they have free will within that gang? I suppose, to an extent, free will like an animal. But does man, not homo sapien animal, but man, does man have a higher order of free will? Back to the natural world. I have seen animals act against their instincts. 
I've read stories of animals that have acted outside their apparent nature. Um, we've seen video on Facebook of a dog trying to save a cat from a flood. A cat. I've seen pictures of a dog trying to save a sheep out of the water. I've seen other animals, you know, they do things to help different species. So this isn't, this isn't motherly instinct. This is just, I don't know. It's an animal acting outside of what appears to be natural instinct. Puts its own life in danger to help another creature. So, so far, we haven't found where either homo sapien animal man or man are very different from animals yet. And yet, somehow, each and every one of us knows. Unless, of course, you got a mental disorder. You know that you are somehow different than the other created creatures in this world. And you're very much above the plants and the animals and the dirt and the rocks and the oceans and the streams. You know you're above that. So what is it that makes man different? Hmm? Have you ever thought about that? It's not our intellectual abilities or our free will. It isn't. Not if you're looking at the natural world. Let's come back to this question. Or quote. Or in yellow. He's talking about liberty. That actually can tie into what we're discussing today. Is liberty a natural right? And if it is, he says it implies, the definition of liberty implies thought and choice and power. Reason through it. Choose which way you're going to go. Choose this day. And then the power to act on it. Well, Joe, Christians have no power to act against sin unless uh, God does it for them. Haven't read your Bible very closely, have you? It's not what it says. Start in Genesis when Cain kills Abel. Let's see what God tells Cain about sin. So liberty, it's connected to being able to think, make a choice, and act on it. It can elect between objects indifferent in points of morality. Mm, yeah, but it also needs to choose between objects that are not indifferent in points of morality. He says neither morally good nor morally evil. He's talking about liberty. I'm talking about thinking. Because it's implied in here. He says there is nothing moral or immoral in the idea of liberty. He says the definition of liberty is a self-determining power in an intellectual agent. What exactly is an intellectual agent? I would love to have asked Adams what he means by intellectual. But I want to, this is where I'm going to pick up the ball. I think he fumbled it. Or at least in that context right there, that limited quote from that perspective, using it as an illustration and a teaching point only for today, not saying that that's what he believed. I'm using Adams's words as they stand alone there to help us as a think piece. I'm going to pick that ball up and I'm going to run with it. Look closely. Concept, where is he leading? He mentions the ability to choose. Other creatures have the ability, but they do not have the ability to consider their choices in the abstract. Not even Coco. 
Coco is not going to stop and go, is my choice to have the banana part of natural law? Do I have a natural right to ask for the banana? Coco's not going to do that. And Coco is definitely not going to go, well, my trainer won't give me the banana. Is that justice? Justice. What exactly do we mean by justice? And is that a unique trait to man? I would say yes. I do not know of any other creature that has a concept of justice outside of their own personal interests. Does one monkey clan go over and end the war between two other monkey clans just because they want peace? I've never seen that. I have not seen it. It may exist, but I have not found it. And don't forget, I'm a sociologist. One of the things sociologists do is study the animal world to see how that applies to homo sapien man, animal man. Because, you know, we're all scientists and we don't believe that there's any difference between man and the homo sapien animal. We think we're all just animals. I happen to disagree, which is why I'm never going to make it very far in the sociology world, which is why I don't work there. Still very grateful for the training and the schooling and the education because it's applicable in what I've done the rest of my life. So man is concerned for justice. Now, where does this get us? Well, first of all, we're starting to dial in a little bit of a definition of man. We finally found something that we can pretty be, be fairly confident on that only man worries about. Only man. Might be something that only man can conceive of. If the rest of the world doesn't worry about justice, are we part of this natural world? I don't know. But now here's where, what do we mean by justice? This is a definition we need to be paying close attention to. And this is a definition where anymore our dictionary will not help us. Why does the definition matter? Philosoph, Philip, 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 Yep, see, this is what happens when you don't have donuts, folks. Philosophically, the definition of justice becomes your, your compass. It becomes that which constitutes your idea of right and wrong. It becomes the measure by which you determine what is right and wrong. Your compass. Do you understand how important that is? So how are we going to define justice? Okay. Let's start with the idea that the notion of justice is connected to the ideas of what is right and what is wrong. Behavior between humans. It can't even include how does a human treat other animals? How does a human treat um, the resources of this world? That that's I could get justice wrapped into that because it, it's indirectly connected to how I treat other human beings. But justice, it's connected to the idea of right and wrong. And what is the idea of what is right and what is wrong? What is, isn't that not the essence of morality? Not ethics. You know, I'm, I'm splitting hairs between the homo sapien human being, the homo sapien animal, and man. The saying that somehow or another, man is a higher order of homo sapien. 
there's a difference between ethics and morality. Ethics in the law department say that if, you know, I know there's a crime been committed. I, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm dealing with a mass murderer. He's killed 50 people and he's probably going to keep on killing them. I don't know of any plan for him to kill somebody else immediately because my ethics lets me turn him in for that. If there's a plan of a murder in progress, but I can't do anything about knowing that, that yep, this guy's guilty. He's killed 50. My ethics say I can't do anything about that. That's not morality. Morality says I'm going to deal with that guy right stinking now. It's got to be removed from society. They are different things, ethics and morality. Ethics are man-made. If morality is man-made, then it is nothing more than an ethic. We're going we're gonna to work through that here today. I'll show you why I say this. So the idea of justice is connected to morality. It's almost like they go hand in hand. One creates the other. If you're worried about right versus wrong, that creates morality. If you're worried about morality, that creates a need for justice. No other creature that I'm aware of, no other aspect of the quote-unquote natural world is concerned with this. This seems to be unique to man. It is not part of the homo sapien animal's worry. The gangs, they might have an idea of right and wrong within their own world, but that's an ethic. They created that. It doesn't apply to all humanity, so it's not morality. Morality should be universal. Otherwise, it's just an ethic. If it's part of a culture, it's an ethos. Cultural ethos, ethic, the, the cultural e uh, ethics. That's what it means. So we're dealing with words that we very seldom even use, let alone stop to really think about what are the concepts behind these words, these labels that we've applied to them. Morality, somehow or another, is bigger than ethics or ethos. And it is something that only man seems to be concerned with. The higher man, the homo sapien that is somehow above this natural world. Almost like he's been born again. So homo sapien, animal, man, moral agent and that's where it gets really confusing and yet they're both human homo sapien animal homo sapien higher man both human so we got to take all of that into context when we define human which we still haven't done so the definition of human implied in all that is that it it contains a choice or choices. You first choice. Are you going to live as an animal? Feels good. Do it. Ooga booga. Get yours. Screw the rest. Be a gang member. Live fast. Die young. Be an animal. If you've ever noticed the animal world, you find an old animal. You found a wise one because most of the time animals do die. What we would consider young well before their natural life and, you know, tendency to, life expectancy in the natural world or are you going to live as a moral agent do what's right correct what's wrong are you going to have concern for others 
because that's what makes a moral agent. That's the difference between the monkey not worrying about getting as many bananas as he can get and going over there and making sure all the other monkeys in the tribe that he doesn't belong to that monkey clan over there across the, across the jungle. I'm going to go bring them some bananas and make sure they're eating. There are human beings that do things like this. And there's no animal that I'm aware of that does that, that seeks out others to help them. None. This is also morality is the origin of duty. What's right and wrong? Justice. Justice, morality, duty. It's almost like we have a trinity here. They all hold each other up. A tri-legged stool. Take one leg out, the stool falls. Moral agency is connected to the definition of higher man. It's a, it implies duty to others. But why and how? Back to justice in the moral compass. We are now talking about the constrained and unconstrained view of man. If you haven't been in that class before, the short and sweet of it is, if you believe in the constrained view of man, you believe the human nature is fixed and we're not going to be able to change it. And I don't mean the individual. I mean humanity. The homo sapien creature, lower and higher. But mostly the lower. The unconstrained view is that man can be perfected. The unconstrained view is fallacious from the beginning. Because it does say that man's nature is not fixed. It can be changed, altered, quote unquote, perfected. How does the admittedly imperfect, because if you need to change man's nature, you're, you're admitting by default that it's not what you think it should be. So imperfect is a way to put this. So how does the imperfect change itself to be perfect? You'll never know whether or not the change you're making actually is perfection, except in your own eyes. That makes you a God unto yourself by definition, conceptual definition, maybe not the dictionary, but the concept of a God of a deity. And that's why the constrained view of man usually goes hand in hand with the thinking of a transcendent creator. And the unconstrained view of man seems to go hand in hand with the idea of man being his own God in some way, shape, or form. But we've got morality, justice, and duty. And they're all connected to the definition of human, or at least the higher man, not the homo sapien man. So let's get back now. Let's jump back to morality. And let's see morality and fallacy. In this case, the fallacy of an appeal to authority. If morality exists in the natural law and the natural rights are connected to it, if it's based in an idea without a transcendent creator, what you're going to end up with ultimately is the universe is God. And that's Gaiaism. That's the universe being the body of God. So the universe makes up our laws of what's right and wrong. This is Thomas Hobbes for the most part. It's wrong because it's an appeal to authority. The universe is not a living creature. It's not even a thing. 
it's an artificial entity. Now, Joe, I know you lost it. The universe is real. I've, I know about that. No, you don't. No, you don't. Any more than I tell you that the society is real. I know society is real too, Joe. No, not in the sense you're thinking. Society is a word we use to talk about all the different individuals in a given geographical and cultural area. And then you have subregions and subcultures within all of that stuff. You, you got smaller groups within it. It's like, you know, I'm one person, I'm one creature, one organism, but I got different organs within me. We use society as a convenient way of talking about a, a, a collection of people in, in different cultures all as one. Universe is the same thing. It's just a word we use to talk about the different galaxies and the different solar systems within the galaxies and the nebulas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're thinking of the universe as God, you've got an artificially created deity. And you call it the universe. And lo and behold, have you ever noticed how our understanding of the universe dances to our tune? Science knows that this is true, then science knows that's true, and then science will know this is true. It never seems to settle on anything. One generation changes the settled science from the next. And trust the beat goes the on. science. Yeah, trust the holy science. And that's Gaiaism. Well, if you control the science, you control Gaia. So it's an artificially created God that you control. So any sense of natural law and natural rights based on that type of thinking ends up with man being his own God, just hidden behind layers of substitution and you end up with thomas hobbes feels good do it man that is natural law natural rights for homo sapien animal man and by the way deism is just an attempt to punt this issue it's a fallacy it's a substitution fallacy you call it kick the can it's like well it's not gaia it's just a it's a god that came along created the universe and then took off where the heck did he go and why did he create it, make it, and then just take off? It, it, you've created more problems now than you had before. And you still have a universe that now dictates the laws. You know, he made it, and it dictates its own law. We're right back to Gaiaism. So deism doesn't solve anything. It's just an intellectual attempt to punt the issue. So also, um, if you leave man as the arbiter of what's moral, what's right and wrong, just straight up. The universe, there's no creator whatsoever. There's no God. Man's going to decide what's right and wrong. And folks, that's a fallacy of might makes right. As long as you're the one who's able to in, in, in enforce your idea of right and wrong on other people, that makes you the arbiter of morality, right? And this is, the, this is libertarianism for the most part. This is atheism, all secular humanist ideologies. It's all man is his own God. We have read the words of people who said exactly this. And they have said that they're going to use the teacher as the prophet of their new religion where man is his own God. Going to proselytize the children into their secular humanism where they are their own God. But not even them. It's the self-appointed God man at the top who's really the God. So we're right back to sun gods, sun kings, 
you know, divine right kings who think that they're deities in and of themselves. That's, none of this is morality. Can't be. Ethics, not morality. Because none of this will ever produce something that all humans can agree on. Even the tyrant who's totally narcissistic and self-involved can agree on a concept. Now, they may apply it differently. Concept of what is and isn't murder or is and isn't theft. But if you're a divine right king and you think you're a god, if you're Pharaoh, you're not worried about murder. You're a god. That stuff doesn't even bother you. You've become depraved to a level that we can't even get you to agree on, even in concept of what is right and wrong. You won't agree that ice cream's ice cream. At least I could get Hitler to agree that ice cream's ice cream. Now, he might decide that the only flavor of ice cream is Neapolitan. And everything else is not ice cream. But I, it's at least in, in concept, I can get these depraved people. to. So that tells you that there is such a thing as universal morality. It does exist. And it is connected to the definition of humanity. And it is connected to rights. It is connected to natural law, natural rights. It's connected to justice duty. So how do you establish morality without fallacy? That's actually easy. If I'm appealing to power, might makes right, or an appeal to authority, you know, Einstein knows all about this. He's, he's my, that's still an appeal to authority. That doesn't necessarily mean you're right. However, if I appeal to a lawgiver who is a excuse me, a lawgiver who is above and outside of this entire universe, what we call transcendent. He's above and outside of this natural world. That is not an appeal to authority, not in a fallacious way. So if I were to appeal to Mussolini for the definition of fascism, that's not fallacious. Well, Joe, you're appealing to authority. Yeah, I'm appealing to the inventor of the term. He coined the term. There is no higher authority as to what fascism means than the man who coined the term. If I appealed to Einstein to tell me about the laws of relativity, that's a fallacy. Now, it might be that he knows a lot, but that doesn't mean he's going to have it all and he's going to be perfect. You know why? He's not the creator of the laws of relativity. He's not the highest authority. That transcendent creator is. So if I appeal, appeal to the transcendent creator for my to, to help me learn and understand the laws of morality, universal morality, that's not fallacious. So if I want to find a universal morality by which I can now judge duty and justice for all, for all moral agents. Notice that's the key right there. All moral agents. Well, even homo sapien animal is going to be a moral agent. We'll get to that. But I'm going to have to appeal to a transcendent God. Incidentally, quirkily, to the best of my knowledge, and I've researched this, but to the best of my knowledge, there is only one transcendent creator in the history of human, humankind, human history. Homo sapien man or homo sapien higher man. There's only one. 
His name's Yahweh. You can look into that. You might find different. Even Allah is not transcendent, which means he's not Yahweh, like the Muslims claim. So why is that? Why is that important? What does that mean? That you've only got one in history. That's interesting, isn't it? Anyhow. Transcendent lawgiver. Source of morality. It's not fallacious anymore. He's the one that makes the laws. Now we can deduce what's right and wrong. By assuming that the creator made the natural world according to his nature according to what he decided was going to be right and wrong. That's a safe assumption. It operates by his, the, the natural world operates by his ideas of right and wrong. That's a, that's a safe assumption. And then we can learn by observation now. We can choose right and we can correct wrong by looking at how the rest of the natural world works and by starting to use our reasoning, logic, our deductions. And we can come up with morality by choice. We're back to Adams again. We can choose what we believe to be what's right according to the transcendent creator's will. And we can reject what we believe to be wrong. And then we can set up a system within that our understanding of the creator's right and wrong. We can set up a system to correct wrongs. We now have a duty to others because we have a transcendent creator of what is right and wrong, which gives us universal morality. And as soon as we have this transcendent thing about, you know, right and wrong, well, if he or wherever, if you've got a transcendent creator, he's the ultimate source of right and wrong. Wouldn't you think that one of the right and wrongs he'd put in there, it says this applies equally to all my moral agents. That's logic, that's reason, that's natural law, natural rights. Because if not, then we're going to be arguing that there are hierarchies within man. And now we'll never be able to come up with a definition of humanity. And if you can't define it, it does not exist. So you're stuck with morality, justice duty all stemming from a transcendent creator who gives you the laws the moral laws and your natural rights are going to be derived from this law this is exactly where john locke got it the book of romans chapter one and two the two books of the creator's law natural law revealed law we come back from the break we're going to start back with Adams's quote, and we're going to see if we can't get some sort of a working definition of human and then start working into how this helps us define natural rights and what they are and what they are not. We'll see you in six minutes.
Okay. Welcome back. Hopefully you're in your seat ready to go again because we're going to get going. So we're going to go back to Adams's quote. <clears throat> get this to come up here for us. It says, liberty. He's talking about liberty. It's a right, correct? You know, we, we got a right to be free. And it's according to his metaphysics is an intellectual quality. So it's a part of the brain, mind thing. It's an attribute that belongs not to fate nor chance. Neither possesses it, neither is capable of it. So fate and chance has nothing to do with this. And it's intellectual. Folks, you understand he just told you you can be free even as a slave? Did you get that? I don't know if he's aware of this, but he's correct too. What were you going to say, Charlie? I thought I heard you. Yeah, German, German song. Meine Denken sind frei. My thinking is free. Or what I think, yeah. This is according to my metaphysics. Metaphysics is an intellectual quality. So you can be free in your mind. If you've ever read your Bible, this is part of what Paul calls joy. This is why it says, you know, Yeshua Torah will set you free. Your thinking, the way you live, sets you free. So it says there is nothing moral or immoral in the idea of liberty. There's nothing moral or immoral in the idea of being free to think for yourself. Now, what you think is a whole different ballgame. It says the definition of liberty is self-determining power in an intellectual agent. You get to choose which way you're going to think. He says it implies thought, choice, and power. You're going to reason through it, choose, and then act. It can elect between objects, between physical things, indifferent in point of morality. So I guess the objects are supposed to be indifferent in the point of morality, what he's saying. It's got nothing to do with morality. Neither morally good or normal, nor morally evil objects. The problem is which one you choose then does define whether or not you've chosen evil or good. Now he is, like I've told you before, Adams is a little... He connects liberty to intellect, and intellect is the ability into the ability to choose. But he's a little fuzzy on exactly what he's where, where he's at with morality. But understand, this quote I chose it on purpose. It's a think piece. I'm not trying to make a point about Adams's beliefs, but the quote is very. It's about liberty, but it I chose it because it'll help us think about morality as well. So, let's take that think piece and run with it for a minute. And there's, it's time to get all spiritual on you here. And he did mention metaphysics. What is the difference between the homo sapien animal and the homo sapien higher man? Well, it's the difference in what they chose. One was free to choose only what they see. And if you do, homo sapien man, because in your lies, in your eyes and your understanding, this, the world is just, we're just animals. We just happen to be able to think. So there's no idea of right and wrong outside of what you make. The problem with that is every time man makes up his own ethics, somebody ends up thinking that's not right. If you've got one person in the world thinking it's not right in terms that are objective, that can be applied to every person equally, You've just proven that the system you created is not moral. Say, well, Joe, the founding fathers gave us the Constitution, and that was not equal to everybody. Oh, but it was. 
the Declaration and the Constitution are equal in principle. Failed human beings applied them in, in within with difference in you know indifferently. You know, we we favored one group or another over another. We applied them wrong, but the principle is universal. So you have the Homo sapien animal, and you got the Homo sapien higher man. What makes them two different? The higher man chooses differently. He chooses to be like the transcendent creator. He's born from above. That's Bible language. But it's the same concept. Because you renounce the ways of this world. You don't want to be an animal. So you want to live like the transcendent higher creator. You're born into moral agency. You accept it, in other words. You're born a human being. You're a moral agent. Moral agency, that's got to be at the central, or at least the capacity for moral agency. It's got to be central to the definition of what it is to be a human being. Because it's going to apply even to people who don't have the intellectual capacity to choose between right and wrong. Because I said it has to be at the heart of it. It doesn't have to be the sole determination. We can say you have to have the DNA of a human being, the form of a human being, and you have that moral agency that comes with every human being, but through some other flaw or function, you weren't ever able to develop your moral agency. Okay, still makes you human. A moral agent is one who's accountable to their creator for their actions. That's because morality, true morality, has to come from a transcendent lawgiver. And if you've got a transcendent lawgiver, then you have a transcendent judge. And he's going to judge you according to whether or not you obeyed his laws, which is exactly what the deist supposed. I'm being snarky here. Benjamin Franklin said the American religion is that we all have to stand before our creator and answer for what we did in life. And then he said that the best way to serve that creator is to serve each other. Duty. Benjamin Franklin is paraphrasing the Judeo-Christian ethic. Love God. You got to stand before and answer to your creator and love your neighbor, serve each other. He put it in his own words. That is not a deist. That's either a Jew or a Christian. Hebrew, in this case. So morality comes from the creator, therefore human. Paramount piece of the definition, one who is accountable to their creator for their actions toward others. Now, what if you're born such that you can never be morally accountable? Well, the Bible covers that. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. If you are not cognitively capable of discerning the law, there's no transgression. But if you are, and you choose not to, ever, you stay animal. You stay a creature of this material world, and only this material world. And you can be, and probably will be judged harshly for that, because you neglected the duty that came with being a moral agent. Notice what we just did with our definition. There was no concern for your age or state of development. So I don't, I, I, human from the moment of conception 
to the moment of death. There was no concern for cognitive ability. So you could be the smartest or the, the least intelligent person that's ever lived. There was no concern for your religious beliefs, your skin color, your ethnicity, your culture. My definition of human, the one I gave you, my definition of human is universal in application. And guess what else it'll apply to? It focuses on moral agency. If the UFOs show up and out walks ET and they're a moral agent, if they're accountable to their creator, my definition applies to them as well. So I've solved abortion, racism, slavery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, conceptually, simply with a definition, a proper definition, a conceptual definition that covers form and function. And I've done so based on my observation of the natural world and using the natural laws of nothing more than right reasoning, logic applied to what I actually see, observe, and what I can deduce from it. Excuse me. So, time to start deducing rights, right? Spent over an hour setting the table. Let's start eating. Okay. First principle. First principle is freedom to choose. You've got this choice. I've laid before you death and life. Choose today which one you're going to do. Hmm. Death and life. Mm-hmm. If you're born above, well, now you're transcendent, or at least somehow, some way, shape, or form. If you stay nothing but the natural world, everything in the natural world dies. You won't live on. You have a choice. I told you there's an aspect of humanity, mankind, that is not of this world or a potential not to be part of this world. I know you're getting religious, Joe. You show me how to avoid this without running smack into the daggum problems I've already explained to you. Avoid your fallacies. Good luck. Have at it. Nobody succeeded before. Well, Joe, you're not the, I'm not talking about Joe. I'm talking nobody has succeeded in defeating these arguments in all of human history, ever. I'm not giving you anything new. I've fine-tuned it. I've tweaked it to Joe's way of explaining it. But I'm not giving you anything new. This is I'm standing on the back of philosophers and theologians, but way before me, nobody has beat this. And you're not going to do it either. If I tried, I couldn't do it. So find me why, find me another explanation that doesn't have to revert back to scripture. Find me a rational explanation that doesn't revert back to scripture. And this right here is why Ayn Rand could have been dealt with in an open debate with somebody who knew what they were doing. She could have been brought face to face with the failures of her own philosophy, the shortcomings. And in her world, that's a shortcoming that constitutes a failure. Okay, first principle, freedom to choose. Choose right from wrong. You also have the freedom to deduce them. If you deduce wrongly, you've chosen wrongly. The, you have free will and duty. Duty to the creator via your actions toward others. And where does this duty come from? Well, 
morality, universal morality. There's a way you treat yourself. There's a way you treat other people. There's a way you don't treat other people. That's a duty not to do those things. We all use the public roads. I have a duty to be attentive when I drive because the very act of driving a vehicle down the road constitutes a potential threat to other human beings, a potential threat to their life. So if I'm going to drive impaired or distracted in any way, maybe because I'm too sick, I'm drunk, I'm doing drugs, I'm on my phone. I am violating my duty to protect other people's lives. I'm endangering them out of wanton neglect. It's depraved indifference. That's a wrong action. Well, Joe, nobody got hurt. Doesn't matter. I had a duty not to do it. Duty, born of rights. If I want my right to live freely and safely and securely, then I must protect that right for everybody else. Why? Because ultimately the right doesn't come from me or them. Doesn't belong to us. Came from the lawgiver. If there is no lawgiver, there is no law. Well, if there are no laws of this universe, then I want to be able to flap my wings and fly. Oops, doesn't work that way, Joe. Yeah, it's because there's a law that says it doesn't work that way. There's a reason so, so, uh, socialism doesn't work. There is a, there's a universal law of economics, and it says that you can only sweep that water uphill so long before it collapses. The gods of the copybook headings will return. Were you here when we read that poem? That poem is about the different biblical psalms and proverbs and sayings that the students used to use. They would write them down in their copybooks to learn how to write good penmanship. It was biblical principles so that they would get instilled in their brains. And they're all about natural law. They all come from the Bible. It's about natural law. And what that whole poem about by Rudyard Kipling is that you progressives can sweep water uphill, but eventually... The gods of the copybook heading will return with fear and trembling. In other words, they will be vicious in asserting their authority. All of this objective right reasoning points to where we're landing, where I'm at. So now we can discuss rights. What is yours? What is actually yours is from the creator. That's the same for everybody. So if you have a right from the creator, from the transcendent lawgiver, then all moral agents have that right. All of them. Be careful with that. That's going to come back to haunt us here shortly. Therefore, if we all have a right to something, those rights cannot justly be taken away or trampled. Hence, the concept of right and wrong derives morality that's what that's morality is derived from the concept of right and wrong trampling of rights justly or unjustly now i noticed i said cannot justly be taken away there are processes for doing this <laughs> even within the natural law of, of the creator if you're going to continue to kill people the natural law of self-defense says they can kill you first see that the natural laws do they have a hierarchy, they have an order, and you can reason your way through them. 
So if you have morality born of natural laws that natural rights of every individual has that justly cannot be trampled or taken away, you have a duty to preserve yours and theirs. You have a duty to do this. You have a duty to protect yourself. You have a duty to protect your family. But that's because they have rights. And if they're not, it, you have a duty to protect those who can't protect themselves. Because ultimately, the right is not yours. It came from the lawgiver. You are a custodian. And you can't lay claim to the liberties or the rights or the freedoms or the whatevers of others. Not justly. And there's a problem with that. This is where our society today is stumbling. It's a little thing I drew up. I call it rights bubbles. It's just two circles. This is two different people. On the left is your rights bubble, that, that big circle, that bubble. Think of it as a, you know, you're blowing bubbles, soap bubble. So you get the big bubble on the left. That's all your natural rights. Mine are on the right. Where our lives intersect, where we deal with each other on a day-to-day -day personal basis, or even in, indirectly, we're both driving down the road. Where our lives intersect each other, whether directly or indirectly influence, that's where morality lives. So if I was on one island and you were on another and there wasn't another person on that island, the only moral things that you can violate are whether or not you're worshiping the creator. Otherwise, there are no other people for you to sin against other than yourself. Same would be for me. But as soon as we can interact, right there in the middle, that's where morality lives. So now I have a right to life and you have a right to life. One of us gets sick. Does the other have a quote-unquote right to force the other to care for them? No. You do not have a right to force somebody else to act in any way. However, if you're sick, you do not have a right to force me to care for you. But I have a duty to do so. A duty to the Creator. I do not have a duty to try to preserve your life to the point that I threaten mine or I jeopardize my duty to perform other duties. So if you're saying, hey, look, I'm sick. I need money for medicine. I said, yeah, but I've given you what I have. I had $10 that I could spare. Yeah, Joe, but you got 150. Yeah, well, I need the 140 to take care of my family. I have a higher duty to my family. I created it. I was born into it. I have a higher duty to the family than to somebody who's not related to me, but I do have a duty to give you that which I can afford. A duty. The duty is to the lawgiver, the source of our rights. It's not to you. It's not to me. And if I don't, I have acted unjustly. Say, well, Joe, that $10, you might have been able to put it away for the future. Yes, a future that I don't know will even come for me. I have a here and now need and duty. I do not get to justify shirking that duty, not morally, based on what might be a, high, a hypothetical. I might win the lottery. I might also drop dead today. It's a scriptural principle. It says, hey, look at here, rich man. You can 
you had a really good harvest. You built, you tore down your barn, built yourself a bigger one. Yes. It's a shame today you die. Mm -hmm. Rather than storing up all of that, which he couldn't have possibly used, he had a duty to share it with those in need to help preserve their life. That is a biblical principle. It is one that's easily derived using nothing more than right, right, right reasoning, logic. Under the proper concept of transcendent lawgiver tells us what we're supposed to do, what our rights are. They apply equally to every moral agent that he created, moral agents equally. Otherwise, he's not a transcendent lawgiver. Law needs to be everybody equal. And the Constitution said that, but we don't apply it that way. We corrupt it. This is one of the flaws of the, of the fallen man thinking he can he can perfect himself, fooling himself. So rights bubbles, they, they come from the, the, the duty to our creator and then to each other. You know, honor God first and then honor others with your, as yourself. If you have no duty, there are no rights. If you have rights, you have duties. It's easy peasy relationship. That word duty. <laughs> That's where all the problems come from. So it was Eve. Eve did it. No. No. That's not who got blamed. Adam got blamed. Why? Well, first of all, the first thing he did was, it was the woman you gave me. Shirked his responsibility. Well, you were talking about duty, Joe. What's that got to do with the responsibilities? Doesn't duty and responsibility go hand in hand just like justice and morality? If you have a duty, you have a responsibility to perform that duty. Remember, I get to reason through it, choose, then act. So if I reason through it, this is what's right and wrong. I'm going to choose to do right or wrong. Then I have to act on it. It's all one action. It's all one thing. So if I've decided, okay, well, this is what's right. I, I accept this idea of right and wrong. And I'm going to choose to do right, but then I never act on it. I've fallen short of the mark. I didn't do my duty. And if you fall short of the mark, Hebrews call that sin. Yes. So did Paul. A sin against who? A sin essentially is a violation of the law. Whose law? The transcendent creator's law. Well, that's been done away with, Joe. Well, then I can flap my wings and fly. What? Yeah, Christian, if the law's been done away with, so were the laws of physics. It's part of the Torah. Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Reading your Bible can really, that's a mother. Duty and responsibility. The problems with our universe and our world right now are primarily caused by a lack of attention to those two things. We don't want to do our duty, and we don't want to be responsible for not doing our duty. Congratulations, you're a homo sapien animal. And Peter says you're good for nothing but being led to the slaughter. Not my words. Peter's. Not my concepts. They're in the scriptures. I'm just being a faithful witness. Best I can. Explaining it the best I can. You do with it what you want. So a right 
that is something that you have inherent in you. It's part of your creation. Let's create them in our image. Name, Shem. Um, imager, you're, you're going to be the creator's agent here on earth. The creator's servant, the one who's going to tend to his creation. Should be a good steward over it. So all of his attributes and characters, you have them in your own, just much, 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 much smaller. You're not a God, but you reflect, you can create. You're a moral agent. You can choose between right and wrong. You can have compassion and love. These type of things. So the things that you have inherent in you as a result of this, those are natural rights. If you need help trying to figure out whether or not something is a right or isn't a right, the easiest way I've ever been able to do this, if you can claim it and do it, exercise it while you are alone on an island or on a boat in the middle of the ocean, you're the only one on the boat. If you are totally away from all other human beings and you can claim it as yours and exercise it, that is a right. So if I'm on an island and I get attacked by a wild pig, do I have a right to kill the pig? Yeah, dang, skippy tootin' I do. I have a right to self-defense. So what if my island gets raided by some native islanders on the island across the bay? I get to kill them too if they're trying to capture me, enslave me, kill me. I have a natural right of self-defense. I can execute that all by myself. I don't have a right to force somebody else to defend me. I have a right to make a weapon to defend myself or to make a shield for armor. I do not have a right to force others to make it for me or to pay for it. I have a right to try to heal myself when I'm sick or injured. I do not have a right to go to the next island and force somebody to do it for me. I can only claim as a natural right that which I can do on the island myself. So what do I have? I have a right to life. I have a right to my free will, first and foremost. That's another thing. If you have a right to it, by necessity, you have a right to that which you need to exercise that right. So if I have a right to free will and you were born with free will, I don't care what the Calvinists tell you. It's, it's in the Bible, flat out. It says, love God. Love is a choice. It's a verb. It's an action. You cannot choose to do something if you don't have free will. The very predication of salvation is based on free will. That's the whole choice that Adams is talking about there. And is you can choose, decide, and act. You think it through, choose, and act on it. Free will. So God doesn't ever send anybody to hell. Everybody who ends up in hell chose to go there. Yes. So if I have a right to free will, what's, gonna, what's necessary for free will? I have a right to life. I can't exercise my free will if I don't have a right to life. Now notice, there's only one of these things that the creator made that he promised never to take from you. That's your free will. Everything else still belongs to him. And he chose not to take your free will. He's still sovereign. He's the lawgiver. He's the creator. So your free will gives you a right to life. What do I have a right to if I have a right to life? Well, I have to be in my body. I have to have a body to live. So I've got a right to my body. I have property 
in my body. It's mine. On the, in this natural world, until I'm called home or until the creator wants me to come account for myself, this is mine. I have been given this piece of property to steward over. So if I mistreat it, I am acting against my duty to the creator, the creator who made my body. Be careful with that. That comes in many, many, many forms, including donuts. Crap. Yes, Natasha, I said crap. Anyway, duty and responsibility. Ha. Ha. <laughs> I have a right to my body. If I have a right to my body, I have a right to my labor, correct? Because my free will directs my body. I'm going to need labor to sustain my body because I need food, clothing, you know, shelter. I have a right to seek those things. I don't have a right to have them. That's part of the problem. How can I guarantee that I'm going to stay? There are no guarantees in any of this. That's the part of man's problem. The animal wants, I need a guarantee. The higher man knows that there is no such guarantee. I don't have a right to have things 100% given to me because that places a demand on somebody else. You cannot do that because every right you have, they have the exact same right. So, hey, give me some of your potatoes. Well, there's only two. Well, give me one. Well, I have a wife. Cut yours in half. No. I grew them. One for me, one for my wife. That's my higher duty to my family first. Well, I'm going to take your potato. I have a right to defend that potato now. This is how this works. But you have a right to go seek your own food, clothing, make your own shelter. Through the actions of your labor, when you take raw materials and you turn them into something or you gather your food or anything that you impart your labor into, that becomes your natural property. You have a natural right in your natural property until such time as you abandon that property. If you abandon it of your own free will actions, you've given it up. You don't get to come back later on and say, hey, I'm reclaiming that. No, you abandoned it. So when somebody else picked it back up and put it back to use, it became theirs through the imparting of their labor into recovering it and putting it back into use. So if you drop a hoe, you say, I don't need the hoe anymore. I, I raised my potatoes. You throw the hoe away because you just don't want it. And somebody else comes along and finds it, picks it up, starts growing potatoes for themselves. You don't get to come take that hoe away. You abandoned it. You maintain property through the constant use of taking care of it. You're keeping parting your labor into it. Notice what this does to you libertarians. It's my property. I bought it. I shouldn't have to pay taxes on it. You didn't impart a bit of labor into it. Yeah, I did. I built a house. Then the house is yours, but not the land it's on. Well, I cleared the land. Then the trees you cut down are yours. You did not make that piece of dirt. You get to treat it as personal property as part of the social contract. We'll get to that in a moment. Property that belongs to you is that you you have a right to is that which you can pick up and move around. If you can't move your house around, you gain a right to that piece of land so long as you physically maintain it. Now, society says you have to pay taxes 
so that they'll approve of that because they have to keep up records and provide utilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and police to help you protect. That's all part of the social contract. We'll get to it. But you still have to stay on that land. Notice what that means. I've got six properties. Five of them are not according to natural law. Well, yeah, they are. No, they're not. You're not on them. You're not actively maintaining them. Well, I hired somebody. Uh-uh. You're not doing it. Mm. Natural law can be a mother because it tends to keep us within our own little world, our own little bubble, so that we don't try to take over the world. But this is where property comes from. The natural rights created, you know, transcendent creator view of natural law, natural rights property. One of the other rights you have it's a natural right of association. It's in the Bible. It says the darkness shouldn't have anything to do with the light, the light with the darkness. Do not be unequally yoked. This is all right of association. Don't be with bad people. You have a right to choose what type of people you, you congregate with, what type of people you associate with. Notice what this means. I have a right to be a bigot or a racist. So long as I don't try to force my beliefs on the world, my society or others, is if I keep them private, I most definitely have a right to be that way. I also have a right to be shunned by others when they find out about it. Joe, a right to be shunned? Yeah. You're free to choose. You're not free from the consequences. That's where the duty and responsibility part comes into this. You got a right to choose. Choose well. If you choose according to natural law, you'll still suffer consequences because the majority of people who are going to go this route is a minority. The majority of people are going to be happy to be homo sapien animals. It's easier. No responsibility, no duty there. Just a bunch of bleeding and bang and complaining because you didn't feed them on time and demanding that they have a right to live in your house free of charge. Animals. Exactly what your pets do. Uh-huh. See? You have um you have a right to conscience. You have the freedom to believe the things I'm saying or not. Again, you do not have the right to be free of the consequences. Now, in a natural law world, you have a right to believe whatever way you want within the limits of that natural law. You don't get to believe that you're emperor and you can run around and take over the world. You don't get to believe that you're a god and you have you do not have the right to force your delusion on others. You do not get to decide that you are a female when you're born natural male and then start insisting that everybody else accepts you as a female. You have no right to do that. You can believe it. But if you don't like the consequences, that's your problem. If you get shunned, suck it up, buttercup. Accept the responsibility. You have a duty to accept the responsibility of of the actions that you took. If you're female and you think you've become a man, you have no right to force others to accept this. No right whatsoever. You also have a right to contract. Enter into free will agreements with other people. When you do this, you cannot surrender your natural rights. Can't give them up because they don't belong to you. 
They belong to the transcendent creator. You are a steward of them. You can willingly agree to restrict their use so long as there are terms back and forth that everybody free will agrees to. This is the essence of the free market. I've worked. I want to be paid in gold. Okay. Here's a little gold as compensation for your labor. I take my gold over to the market. I'd like to buy that rack of lamb and those bags of oranges. Well, fine, but I want this much gold for them. Okay, I agree. Here you go. Say, I need a job. Okay, I'll let you flip my burgers for $3 an hour. I want four. I can't afford four. Well, I can't live off of three. Not my problem. I can't afford to keep you alive. This is what I can afford to pay you and still do my duty, my responsibilities of running a business. You're just being, you're just trying to make, take advantage of me. Then go work somewhere else. Well, I can't, I need this job. It's the only one I got. All right, I'll, you just agreed to work for $3 an hour. Quit your belly aching from that point forward. You can ask for a raise or make yourself more valuable to that employer. But now if you're an employer and you hired people for a certain price, and then all of a sudden you dump more responsibility on them. Hey man, now you got to be the fry cook too. I, I need $5 an hour for that. It's, you know, it's better part of two jobs. Can't afford it. I'm going to quit. Okay. Quit. Cause you should, or you could unionize, right? Unionization is not the great thing that you think it is. Because all that does is, is, is a big, it opens a gateway for another level of control. Now what happens is the union becomes a gatekeeper who gets to work for anybody and what they get paid. And all it does is drive prices up and productivity down. Well, Joe, the rubber barons, you know what would have happened if they hadn't unionized, if they'd have just stuck together and done what was right as a community, the rubber barons would have come around anyway without the force of the union. The union didn't do anything. The union forced you to do the union's bidding, who then used that as leverage against the employer. All you did was put another layer of force into this. You trampled right upon right. What you should have done in the days of the robber barons is just start another business. Now, if you're a robber baron and you turn around and you use your money in the government to put your competitors out of business, you deserve to have everything you've taken, taken away from you. Everything you've earned should be taken away from you. Everything you have should be taken away from you. Jefferson and Franklin both said so. If you're not willing to play fairly by the social contract and by the terms of civilized society, take your toys and go back to the, to the wilderness, live as a barbarian. And he said that. Franklin did. He literally said, go back and live as a savage. He said, if you won't pay your club, pay your fair share. And that's just it. The social contract comes from the right to contract. Freedom of association and the right to contract. That's where the social contract comes from. It says, okay, we're going to get together as a commonwealth. We're going to create a governing body. And this is the limits of what that body can and cannot do. Now, you remember I told you you have duty and responsibility? And I told you that's why this nation's in trouble? You had a duty to watch the government and a responsibility to force them to behave. And if they didn't, to remove them. 
You have laid down your duties and your responsibilities, but you still want to bleat for your rights. You do not deserve them. You don't. You abdicated them. You chose poorly. You're a good little animal, and you're good for nothing but the slaughter. Well, Joe, I'm afraid of what would happen if I... Exactly, you were afraid. I know of a book that tells me all the time, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Well, they might kill me. Yeah, they might. Don't fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul. Well, Joe, I'm not a, I'm not a believer. I'm a... Then live in fear the rest of your life. Natural law, natural rights, according to John Locke and the Founding Fathers. There you go. Walked you through it. And this is why we have so much trouble in the world today. Everybody wants to start with, that's my right. Nobody wants to even understand what they are or where they come from, how we get there. Nobody wants to go over any of the responsibilities or duties that come with it. Well, Joe, I shouldn't have to have a responsibility or a duty. Fine. You don't have to. Go live on the deserted island. What you're basically telling me is you want civilization, but you don't want any part in creating it or maintaining it. You want your cake. You want to eat it too, and you don't want to have to pay for it. Very good little socialist. Doesn't work. This world does not operate that way. Just look at it objectively. Show me one time where that, that utopia has ever been created. You won't because the gods of the copybook headings come back and say, nope. And by that, they don't mean gods as in a god god. It's essentially just the way of saying the natural law asserts itself. We get overpopulated, not enough food. Famine wipes out the population. Natural law. You get overpopulated, going to wipe it out with a flood, earthquake, hurricane, tornado. That's one of the purposes of, of natural disasters. Level the, level the population. Keep people spread out. We keep being stupid. Well, Florida is a peninsula that jets out into the Atlantic Ocean where they have these big things called hurricanes all the time. So we're going to make the biggest cities of all these retiree people from up north go down here in the rich, and we're going to make these fancy houses right on the coast, right on the water where the hurricane can wipe them out. You're a moron. Shouldn't be insurable because we ultimately end up passing the insurance bill off to the public. Shouldn't be allowed. If you're going to build on the coast or within a couple of miles of the coast, it should be a case of you and your mortgage company work it out or you build it and pay for it straight up 100% so that when it gets wiped out, that's on you and not the rest of the community because you're building in a place where you know you shouldn't build. Same thing for like it, it, when the next big city in New in uh, California gets wiped out from her earthquake. The whole nation's going to have to send me FEMA and their money there to help them. No, Jack, you should have spread out. You shouldn't be piled six, seven, eight million in a little city waiting for the earthquake to kill all y'all. You should be spread out throughout the whole state. There's plenty of room in California for, for y'all to move out and live in little earth, but you got to pile on top of each other. And then the world has to become responsible for you. Yes, sir. Joe, that, that shows how, how, how uncaring and evil God is that he gives all these disasters and, and God said and spread out for all these things. Yeah. God said spread out and have it and subdue the world, knowing that 
if you did that, it would make you less susceptible to the way the world is. And what did we do? First thing we did is made a dadgum city to make a name for ourselves. Nothing's changed. God's not uncaring. He tried to tell us how to avoid this mess. We didn't want to listen. We never do. Then we want to blame the lawgiver, the one who created this place, who set the orders and the, and the laws by which it operates and governed it and everything, puts all that in place and tells us what they are, either through his natural law or through his revealed law, and we choose poorly. And then we don't want to be responsible for our choices, and yet we still want our rights. You deserve neither. Ben Franklin, I gave up my rights for safety. You deserve neither. Why? Ultimately, because you shirked your responsibility and your duty. You're not part of a civilized society. You don't want to be part of it. You just want to enjoy the trappings and the benefits, but you don't want to be part of it. You want to eat free. But God is supposed to be love. That is love. That's agape, folks. I just described agape, the biblical idea of love. It's a choice. The biblical idea of love is not, it's not the hippie Jesus thing. Mm -mm, Jack, that one will get you sent straight to Hades because you'll never know the Lord. And what did he tell you? If you don't know me, I'm going to lock you out of the wedding supper. Well, how do you know him? If you say you know him and you don't obey him, you're a liar. It's in the scriptures. So God has tough love. Yeah. Real tough love. <laughs> Get out of my way, Moses. I got to go down there and kill all those people I just brought out of Egypt. But that makes me uncomfortable. It should. You should supposed to have a reverent fear of the creator. For crying out loud, he made you. You don't want to be the lump of clay that he gets tired of and he picks up off the potter's wheel and smacks it back down again because that means you gone. He's going to make somebody else out of that dirt that you were created from. Welcome to the real world, Charlie. The world of big boys and girls. But I don't I don't want to be an adult. Me neither. But it's not about what we want. Y'all can just identify as children. Yeah, there we go. How did I just tell you that's gonna we, work? You can, can you can identify as a woman too if you, if you're a man and a man can identify, you know, or a woman as a man, but it's not gonna help. But, but, but Joe, that's my right. No, it didn't. But Not you, natural law. But, but this is unnatural. You can live as a child forever, but nobody owes you any, and nobody should take care of you like a child. Once you get to be an adult, they should cut you off. You say, well, nobody will feed me and clothe me and house me. Well, hunger and cold are powerful motivators. So you can choose to decide you're an adult child, but the problem is, is that society now tries to remove the consequences. And what ends up happening is that we remove them for a such a larger and larger and larger part of the society until such time as you can't remove them anymore. And the gods of the copybook headings return with fear and trembling. In other words, natural law reasserts itself and you lose an entire society. And that's going to happen to this Western world. It's already in collapse. I've taught you a little bit about it, but the signs of social collapse are everywhere. Civilization is falling apart. 
And lo and behold, one of the primary motivators is the exact same mechanism by which the classic ancient world of Rome got destroyed. The same influence is present today as it was back then, doing the same things. Gee, who would have thunk it? So natural law doesn't change? Nope. Not until the world's remade. It's Friday. Start of the feasts in the fall seasons. Fall feasts. If you keep Torah and the Sabbaths. Hopefully y'all at least, if nothing else, read up on them a little bit. You're really good about that Jesus stuff, but you don't realize that the feasts are about the first and second coming and about salvation and the return of the kingdom. That's what they're all about. Maybe you should learn about them a little bit. Look into them. It's worth your time. We love each and every one of you. We thank you for being here. We hope what we helped you today. We hope we help all the time. Some days more than others. We understand it's classroom. Some classes are more interesting or more useful than others. But, you know, on a whole, what we do here does build on itself. Some of you are really starting to get it. I've been getting emails. By the way, BC, I got to email you, but I got that package. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to show that coin to Jimmy the next time he's in town. He might steal it from me. BC understands who he is and what I just said. Private message. Ah, It's like when Farmer John and all, we were talking to the, the two uh, amigos up in southwest Georgia in the occupied territory. So or southern Georgia, southern central, whatever. But y'all take care of yourselves. The class builds on itself. You need to be here. I know that I can be hard to learn to deal with. I got that. But, you know, when you try to describe me to people, the term that they like to use is quirky. Actually, they like to use a different word for me, but it's not good for mixed company. <laughs> if we can help you in any way, please email us. Um, comment sections, give us a call, whatever. Share the show. If you don't share it directly, social media is not going to let it get into your people's feeds and your friends' feeds. It'll hide it. It'll get suppressed. We know we're being muzzled and throttled. We've, we've seen it. Um, if you can afford to do so, we'd, have, we'd appreciate you buying us half a dozen donuts a month. Hey, go to the donate page, donut pages, <laughs> the donate pages and sign up monthly. $5 a month would be great. That would help us defer the costs. Um, I know it's not a big deal to most of y'all. I got it. But this thing's this this show, if you think we don't care about what we're doing, this show's still running at a $250 deficit every month out of my pocket. And I'm not bragging about it. I'm not complaining. No, 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 no. I just wanted to put a number with that for you so you can get an idea of what we're doing here. If we did not think we were doing a ministry and feeling led to do this, I'd quit right now. It would offset some of the cost of my puppies. <laughs> But we, we do want to be here. We do want to do this. We do know that it's helping some of you. We hear from you. And a lot of you are helping us. And we very much appreciate that. Thank you. You'll, you'll keep me going longer than I otherwise should just for the fact that I don't want to let you down. So y'all have a good weekend, man. We'll see you back Monday on Manic Monday. Y'all stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Spend time with your families. Whether you're going to do it on Sabbath or Sunday, I really don't care. But Give some serious consideration to returning to the Lord, repenting of things that you might be doing wrong in your life. Each and every one of us is. Just get closer to him who can preserve your soul, your, your eternal life. 
worry a little bit less about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. A little bit more about what you do to serve him and to serve his kingdom. And we'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.